Welcome back to our AP World History Podcast. Today, we're going to be getting Unit 3 of, um, of our studies and looking at the major trade routes that linked the classical and post-classical words, worlds together. And you'll notice I said classical along with post-classical. Um, as Post-classical is the new unit that we're in, uh, in Era 3 uh, here, but uh, it's also part of the classical era with what we just looked at. Uh, I, I know the book structures it in a way that says like, well, this is completely separate. It's not. It's there. There's simplicity, and we're going to kind of follow that because it helps us break the chapters or break the units into the, or the tests into three chapters. Uh, so that makes it a little bit easier on us. But um, please realize that this uh, these trade routes began much sooner than uh, this new era. They began all the way back around year zero uh, for some of them, like uh, the Silk Road and Indian Ocean trade were were starting then. Uh, really, especially the Silk Road. Now. Um, couple things to look at or general things to know about kind of the trade here before we dive into these three trade routes uh, are that most of the regions involved had some unique thing that they were trading uh, which allowed them to trade with everyone else uh, this is especially true when we look at China uh, and India um, that uh, because of these long trade routes because we're connecting all of Eurasia and parts of Africa uh, you're going to have these new states developed to help facilitate that. Not one state is going to travel across that whole thing. And this is all going to lead to religion spreading, at least those major religions that we've seen. So um, those are some things we're going to see. And uh, we're going to break this into three parts. The first part is going to be the Silk Road. second part is going to be the Indian Ocean trade. And the third part is going to be the Trans-Saharan trade route. So um, to prevent any further delay, we're going to dive into the Silk Road now, which was the land route that connected most all of Eurasia together here. So it was a relay trade uh, is the first thing that I want to make sure you understand. Uh, people didn't go traveling from the Roman Empire all the way to the Han Dynasty. That was very seldom did that happen. Now you might have an emissary that goes and, and there are accounts of that. But really for the most part, most merchants, everyday merchants were going to a couple major cities further east or further west of them, depending on which way they were traveling. And then they'd come back with, with goods and sell those goods marked up from what they bought it in the previous city. Um, and that just makes the trade more reliable and safer and easier for the merchants. But you do have exceptions to this, like Marco Polo being the famous one, um, who we'll take a look at it at some point here um, in class. So, uh, Silk Road, geography, it connects um, Europe on the one end, uh, in the west, to China in the east, and along the way, you're going to get the Middle East and South Asia involved heavily. And these four regions are going to focus more on manufactured goods and agricultural products, whereas the um, the northern parts of this and like kind of Central Asia, that bit, and and parts of what we would say modern day Russia are were um, more furs and and were based around the the pastoral lifestyle. So th they would do a lot more of the traveling and and um, carrying of goods. Um, between the different civilizations. So um, that was kind of their parts here. But a uh, big thing to note here, when when the trade route is doing well, it is doing well because of the major empires on anchoring either end. So Rome and the Han, the Byzantines, or the Abbasids and the Tang dynasty, or the Mongol Empire, which kind of connected all of it. But without those, the trade route goes into disrepair. So when Rome and the Han dynasties fall, we see trade plummet there. And then the Byzantines kind of bring it back up, um, the Abbasids bring it up, and the Tang bring it up, um, and the Song bring it up. Uh, it, it gets better, okay? But you have to have strong empires on, on either end. <coughs> and um, 
So some of the things that you'll see, because I think it's important to know what, what groups are trading. There's a great um, a snapshot in, in the textbook here with this, but kind of the famous things, things to remember uh, with this is China is really known for their silk, but they're also spread gunpowder and paper, um, some other uh, herbs and stuff like that, like ginger or garlic, um, or sorry, not garlic, but ginger. Um, and, and their porcelain or lacquerware, uh, those are the major things that they really sell um, along this. And the biggest thing would be silk, of course. Uh, but understand that technologies are spreading along with products. Um, in, in Central Asia, what you're getting is a lot of furs, uh, as well as you're going to get things like saddles, uh, yokes, and uh, other technological in innovations that they use, like stirrups that help them ride their animals better, and that's going to reach Europe and, and China. Uh, and, and everywhere else along the way. Uh, in India, it's a lot of cottons as well as um, uh, herbs and spices and precious stones. Uh, China also has their fair share of spices, um, with ginger being one of them. Um, the Middle East, uh, it's a lot of dried fruits as well as um, incense, so uh, smelling uh, things. I, I don't know how to describe incense if you don't know what they are, but like things like frankincense and stuff like that, um, things that you might burn that in the Christian tradition are used to kind of ward off spirits and stuff like that, but it could also just be used to, to make things smell better. And then you got the Mediterranean basin, um, where, uh, unfortunately for the Europeans, there isn't much that they have. They've got a lot of gold that they can get rid of and, and silver. So everyone likes that. Uh, and they make some jewelry items with that, but, uh, that's kind of their main thing. They also have glassware though. Um, and some wool and some other linens, but those aren't as popular as just the straight gold. So you see a lot of gold leaving Europe, uh, which upset the, the many empires. Um, now, moving on here, so the next major section we would have seen there is the goods in transit, uh, which actually we just kind of talked about, but um, with the specifics there, but how do these goods get across? We, we said that they're a relay trade, but it's not like people are carrying it there. Um, and you can't really use horses and carts because of the geography. Now, between some cities you can, but if you're going through Central Asia, it's mountainous, it's, it's dry, it's arid, it's not, it's not good for horses or anything like that. So you're going to use camels. And there was these long camel caravans that were developed that um, were used to transport goods. However, camels can't carry a lot, so it's going to be more expensive to get it. And you're going to need stuff that's not very fragile. So Silk becomes the main thing because it's super light. You can carry a lot of it, and it's it's fairly durable in that you can kind of pack it up however you want, and it's it's going to survive. Unlike if you're traveling with glass or porcelain, you got a high chance of that stuff breaking with it going around on the camel's back. Um, so with these luxury products being traded, the main one that becomes popular again is silk, and that becomes a status symbol um, for people. So. Uh, a lot of women, especially upper-class women, demanded it or wanted it uh, because it was more luxurious than wool, which was itchy and everything else in, in the West. Um, cotton was also a big one there, uh, and, and Rome lost a lot of resources to it. Um, let's see, what else is there? So, um, yeah, silk just becomes, it's, it's a symbol of the elite, and, and if you're a commoner, you're not getting it. Um, Although silk wasn't very expensive, it's not like uh, Chinese merchants that are Chinese farmers that are making silk are making millions and millions of dollars off of it, um, because each merchant has to take their cut of of the share to make a profit. Uh, it goes up in price as it goes across, and so that allows uh, individuals to gain a, a lot of um, uh, money if they can be a good merchant and buy products low and sell them high. Um, as well with things, it's not just 
goods that are being traded, as we said, uh, also religions and other cultural ideas spread. So um, the big thing that spreads with this uh, into Central Asia is going to be Buddhism. Uh, we're going to see that spread into Central Asia and China. Uh, you, during the Tang Dynasty, we can see Buddhism having a major role there. Um, and before, after the fall of the Han. And uh, it connects India with, with China. And Chinese monks will go to India to uh, go to the monasteries and study and understand Buddhism more. Um, the pastorals in Central Asia uh, don't adopt Buddhism a ton. Um, some will, uh, especially traders and stuff, because it gives them a connection to go and stay at the monasteries there. Um, but they, they really, it's going to be a struggle for them to adopt because they're not uh, literate and they live a very nomadic lifestyle and, and it's not going to match what kind of the, the Buddhist teachings are going to ask for them to do. Um, but by adopting it, if you're a merchant, you, again, you opened up different uh, places you could stop. And uh, this is where we really see the uh, split in Buddhism. Theravada Buddhism doesn't care for this too much, but Mahayana, which is trying to convert everyone to Buddhism, uh, is is a big thing there. Um, the book doesn't really talk about Islam. We're going to be looking at that, I think, in the next chapter uh, with the rise of it or in two chapters after China. But without the Silk Road, you don't have Islam spreading as much as it does. It goes through North Africa because of these trades, uh, also through its own conquest. It goes to Central Asia. It gets all the way to India. Uh, some parts of it reach China and Southeast Asia. Um, we'll see that in East Africa. West Africa. We're going to see the trade routes that bring it there, but it's all trade that it's it's a lot of trade that spreads it. Um, so Islam works kind of the same way. And with Islam, you had um, uh, again merchants and stuff could stop in into um, or at least travelers, not necessarily merchants, but travelers could stop in at, at mosques or holy places and, and find a place to stay, uh, which Christians also did in their travels around Europe. They didn't really have monasteries to go to in the Middle East and stuff like that. Um, but last thing here with kind of trading and just moving around, if you're in that caravan, uh, you might stop at a night at a, if there was a Motel 6 back then, you would try to stop there. There weren't, of course, uh, but there were these things known as caravan sarai, uh, which were places for people to stop with their goods and, and bring their camels in and have a protected place in a city to be able to, to keep their goods and stuff like that. So there were, um, there were places set up for people to stop more than just Buddhist monasteries. You didn't just have to be a Buddhist or anything like that. Um, last major thing here to cover with uh, the um, Silk Road, though, is that it also spreads a lot of disease. Um, now that you've got these regions connected, you're going to be exposing people to germs that they haven't seen before. And um, with the exchanges of, of culture, especially with people coming in and staying a long time, uh, you're going to see that a lot more. Um, so these diseases are going to be things like the Black Death. That's the most famous one, but there are plagues throughout history that will affect the Byzantines, like the Justinian Plague. Uh, there are plagues affecting the Romans under Marcus Aurelius' time that didn't originate in Europe. They would have originated somewhere in the Middle East or, or Far East and made their way across and, and caused devastation. Uh, again, though, the biggest one is known as the Black Death, which was the bubonic plague or Yersinia pestis that uh, between 1346 and 48 killed about half the European population and really decimated any city along the way. Um, it, it really destroyed the, the Chinese and uh, is a major reason why the Mongol Empire falls apart eventually. Um, and so that disease, when diseases break out, you're going to see trade 
cease again. No matter whether you have a strong empire or not, people are going to go, well, we don't want goods from there because we might get the disease. So the things kind of shut down. So uh, it's not good that that, that happens with diseases. Uh, it's not good for the trade, but it's something that happens and you eventually get more immunity from it and, and people are able to move on and, and get tougher through that. So that's kind of the Silk Road in a nutshell. Uh, next up, we'll take a look at the Indian Ocean trade.